once came another man who... Style of tall. Go ahead. I'll be honest. I, I played a very high standard. Young, a superstar. Give some lessons. Determination. Was extremely Welcome to the Chess Underground. Eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. And I felt be down in flames from the my style. July 2020. Welcome back to Chess Underground. I am very pleased today, or tonight I should say, to be joined by Eric Vigil. Those of you who have been with the podcast will recall Eric was our inaugural guest, the first ever guest on the Chess Underground. So I'm absolutely thrilled to have him back for season two, where we are discussing tournament life. Eric, welcome back to the show. How you doing? Oh, thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting me. I am absolutely tired because I've just uh, finished tonight with the when the uh, the Blitz event before the the Barber Denker Herring Senior Rockefeller and yeah, <laughs> did the Blitz uh, tournament online. Yeah, so you know, let me set the stage and and sort of start there. That that's a great place to start. Um, so for our listeners who are unaware. This year, the U.S. Invitational Tournaments, and that's the Denker, the Barber, the Rockefeller, the Herring, and the Senior, as well as the sixth tournament, the Wiramentry Blitz Championship, are all taking place online. Those are happening. They're normally part of the U.S. Open. This year, they all moved online. And Eric, a senior TD and president of the Iowa Chess Association, I forgot your titles, Eric Vigil, you were a TD at the Blitz event tonight, correct? Yes, I, I wasn't going to be originally, but I showed up because I don't have much um, online tournament experience. And so I showed up um, just kind of like volunteer. You just say, hey, I'll just come along. Um, you know, you guys, I'm just going to get your feet wet, right? Yeah, I'm just going to get my feet wet. Just like be along for the ride. Just show to see what's going on. Um, experience it. Right. But um, as it turned out, I was sorely needed. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm certainly glad. I'm certainly glad you were there. Yeah. We had a glitch on chess.com where we, we they had a scheduled break um, in the under 16. Well, in all the sections after round five, there was a 10 minute schedule. They were playing game three increment two, three minutes increment two seconds. Um, and it was all done on chess.com with um, what we're doing here because, you know, we're what the goal is fair play. Um, and so each participant had to have a camera check. So they have to have a, a zoom cam or a zoom camera session directly at their face. And then a zoom. So let me, let me pause and set the stage here. There was a, there was a quality control check prior to the event. Correct. And the goal for the participants, if I remember correctly, was they had to, in order to even play in this event, and this is sort of the, the wild and weird world that we live in right now, right? Just Correct. to play a chess tournament, <laughs> you have to have two webcams. So you have to have a webcam looking at you, hitting your face, right? Showing your face and what you were looking at. You have to have a webcam set up behind you, sort of like a bird's eye view. Is that is that an accurate way of describing what it would look like? Yeah, so basically we need to see the... Um, the the player's face because you can tell a lot from their eye movements, just like it. Like, let's say if you get stopped for drunk driving, they look at your, you know, your, your pupils. Sure. They give you the test with the flashlight and we've all seen that on like a commercial or what have you. Right. Right. And then the other camera is on the, um, the, the computer that they're using to see the board. So we have a, a visual of the board. So two cameras, one being on the face and one being on the board. Right. Um, and so we need to see, have those set up. And that's, that was mostly my responsibility was to make sure that the players had those two cameras set up and they were functioning properly. And then we had good visualization of the board and we had good visualization of the face. 
So, you know, this is this is such a unique topic, you know, chess in the time of a pandemic. Right. So you've got these two views. How how would you say it played out? How would you say it worked? I mean, was it effective? It did work. It's just um, a learning curve as to getting the players set up. I mean, a lot the players I was dealing with the under 1600 section. So I've got a lot of smaller kids. Right. Um, and they they're like oblivious to being on camera. <laughs> <laughs> so they're they're do, they're doing stuff like picking their noses, and, you know. They're like, and then I, I get the constant, um, "Can I go to the bathroom?" <laughs> because right. in a blitz game, right? In, in a blitz, blitz game. well, you know, it's in between rounds. Oh, uh, okay, okay. You know, and they're like, they so there's the kids are doing all kinds of things. One kid's humming, and I'm trying to figure out what tune he's playing. <laughs> <laughs> what song is in this kid guy's head, right? Yeah. And, you know, all these things that are like in a regular, I felt, I honestly felt like I was TDing a regular blitz tournament. Really? Except it was in my house. Right. Really? You know, that it's, it's surprising to me that you say that because I would imagine it would feel very different, but, but you're saying, no, it's not. It felt like I was there. Yeah. It did feel like I was there. Um, the weird things, you know, like, the player's tongue clicking, you know, mm-hmm. the bathroom break issues. Um, yeah. And like, and the kids would actually like, we have a side column with the texting, okay. uh, zoom chat. Right. And they'd be like, they'd be texting like, Hey, you got a really cool, uh, um, world map on your back wall. <laughs> <laughs> Pointing out things that they appreciate in the other players rooms, essentially. Yeah, they're they're just really kids being kids, right? Kids being kids for the most part. Yeah, they're all under sixteen hundred. Um, I mean, when the thoughts that like, pop into my head, like I wonder how much contact these players have had with other kids their age in the past four months. Yeah, they were they were like putting in big things in the group chat. Well, we had a big technical issue mm-hmm. um, right after the fifth round. There was supposed to be a ten minute break. Yes, and that break ended up being the end of the tournament in the under 1600 section. Yes. Uh, there was a computer glitch and, you know, the chat with the chess.com site. And my understanding is, is actually that it was the break uh, was incorrectly set to 10 hours instead of 10 minutes. Right. <laughs> which, <laughs> which changes okay, things a little bit. Error. And, and it, it was, was, it was human error and it wasn't, I do not believe it was a, an actual site glitch just to clarify with our partner at chess.com. Um, it was not, I don't believe it was an actual site glitch. Um, but yeah, <laughs> 10 hours is a quite different than 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what, that, again, that's what we have in regular, regular tournaments. Like, cause we'll get, we'll one game will have like the clock set for, right. You know, 130 hours as opposed to 130 minutes. <laughs> right. That happens all the time. I, 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 I'm impressed that, you know, First of all, I would love to play in a tournament that had a 10 hour break in between the games. You know what I mean? Like one a day games. That sounds amazing to me. Yeah, I know. Right. We got to, you know, we got to find a way, Eric, to get that going in the U.S. I mean, I know it's probably never going to happen because, you know, we've, well, we've got the 40 hour work week. You know, we've got the 40 hour work week. We've got um, just conventionally as a culture, we're not really set up to have that to have i should say to have regular one game a day tournaments we're not really set up for that honestly um yeah I know. but wow that'd I know. be great wouldn't it don't you think would you play it would you enjoy that oh gosh yes i would <laughs> i absolutely would love it yeah. i dream i dream of like going to europe and just playing one day event uh one game a day events sounds great um but anyway yeah sure. um but, you know, the thing is that, that used to be the norm here as well. You know, when I look back at old issues of Iowa chess literature, uh-huh. the Iowa Open, I remember reading about the Iowa Open in like 1915, sure. where it was in Burlington, Iowa, where it was a round robin with 15 or, you know, 14 players. Wow. And they played 13 days in a row. <laughs> <laughs> See, doesn't that sound great? Just, man, eh, I'm going to take the next couple weeks off. Go play in this chess tournament. I'll catch you guys, you know, yeah. bottom half of the month there. But again, back then it was chess was for the wealthy. It wasn't for the common man. Yeah. I mean, I think you're, you're, you're right. You see, uh, 
some of the, the famous players, right? And we know their backgrounds. Um, so getting back to getting back to this tournament, you know, what I'm yeah, fascinated yeah, here, so we, we, <laughs> you and I have a tendency to, to get on these tangents and it's great. Um, but I am curious because, you know, in June, we had a chess life issue relief uh, release called chess in the life in the time of COVID, I believe it was called something like that. Um, mm -hmm. And it was all about how the landscape has changed and how quickly it has changed. And I think about the 2019 invitational tournaments, Denker, Barber, Herring, Senior, Rockefeller. Um, they were all in person. They were all in the same room. Yeah. And now here we are with players literally spread out across the country at home in their own room, participating in this national invitational tournament. That's quite a picture. What did the Zoom call look like? So, so break it down for me. How many players did you have to monitor in the section that you were monitoring? I was, I mean, I joined one of the lightest sections. Okay. Um, only had 17 players. Okay, so you're, you were only responsible for monitoring, I guess that would be screen. 34 cameras, right? Because you've got two cameras camera. per player. Did they have to share their computer screen? How did that work? Yeah, they one like I said, one camera was like on the back of their head showing their computer screen. Got it. Okay. And then one camera was showing their face. Okay. Um, and then, you know, we had problems like one player, you know, they were set up in a room where the sun was hitting their computer screen. Ah, okay. It's reflecting directly back into yes, the camera. The famous let the let the elements obscure my undoings. <laughs> that's yeah, not even that's a word. Is like it the very first chess book? <laughs> yeah, you know, get your opponent. You know, to face the sun is sun in his eyes. Yeah, sun is his eyes. Yeah, wasn't that um, you know, what's uh, that? Roy Lopez. That was he wrote. He wrote that. Really? Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's the first. You know, <laughs> I feel like every time I record a podcast, I feel like I need a professional fact checker in the background. You know, <laughs> like waving I'm his arms with a pen and pencil. Lopez that wrote the first chess book. That that's you know still around. Oh yeah, I I was thinking if we can attribute the the play with your opponent's uh, son and son in his eyes quote to him or not. Yeah, I think we can. <laughs> um, but anyway, <laughs> you heard it here first. So, so then you know some of the other players their their screens were vertical to the camera. It had like a picture of them on the computer with the keyboard, and I said, just tilt your computer like slightly to the left or the right so that we can see the your screen. Right. You know, and that's. So that's the kind of adjustments I had to make during the during the tournament. I had to like text players, you know, on the Zoom chat privately and say, "Hey, you know," and and I will say that 100% they complied. They were like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll get that. I'll turn my computer. Sure, right. Right. I'll pull, I'll pull down the, the blinds, no problem." You know, so that was good. Um, you know, that's that's my impression too. Is that in this online environment? I think the vast majority of players are pleased with these measures. You know, they might seem draconian, they might seem over the top, but I think if you can just feel okay, you know what I mean? Like I'm playing this online event, I can't see my opponent, I don't know what he's doing, does he have an inch out? But the, if the measures that are put in place just help you feel okay and comfortable, like, well, you know I really what I mean? Think, I really think that um, they know we're looking. They know we're, mm -hmm. we're watching them, right. you know, that big, big, I'm a big comfortable brother, <laughs> you know, right. because they know if they know that I'm looking at them, they know that I'm looking at their opponent as well. Right. And yeah, that's what yeah. I mean. Right. And that, there's like that sense of comfort, right? Like things are being watched so I can just play. I don't have to worry about, I don't have to play the head games of is my opponent using an engine or doing this or doing that, you know, everything's being watched. It, yeah, and 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 you might think that with two cameras on you and like a screen share and a Zoom call, you're like, eh, no, this is a little too much. But probably it's like really great for the players, I would bet, right? Because you don't yeah. have to worry about anything. Well, and like I said, in my case, Judith um, had to leave because she's like our a liaison with Chess.com. Got it. And so she had to leave the room, and I was left, you know, with my my 34 cameras by myself. Wow. Wow. And then it got, and then as we had to wait because our tournament didn't restart, 
you know, these kids are just like asking me all these questions like blah, 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 blah. <laughs> They're just, you know, and I had to um, entertain so what's, them. What's the best stories. question you got? Yeah, I was going to say, I got to know what's the best question you got. Um, I can't, you know, mostly it's like, can I go to the bathroom? You know, do we have to, do I, can I leave? You know, what's going to go on? Mm. They didn't really, um, you know, I, I pretty much like told them like my story of the scientific experiment where they, they cut the, you know, I said, well, like, okay guys, just be patient. We're kind of like running around here on the computer, like with our chickens, with our heads cut off. And then one kid of course said, well, that's, that's stupid because if a chicken got his head cut off, it, would, it wouldn't run anymore. And then I had to bring up the scientific study where somebody cut off the, chick, the head of a chicken and then put a feeding tube down the chif- chicken's esophagus oh and gosh. kept it alive for a year. <laughs> and the kids were like, I really didn't need to know that. <laughs> this is when you have 17 wide-eyed children, right? Like all looking at the screen with the same expression. <laughs> You know, I said, well, look it up, man. It's there. <laughs> I can tell you, I can tell you, you know, there's uh, being a former coach and working with a lot of students, there's always the one kid who's like, actually, chicken with his head cut off would not run around. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's always the one who's going to who's gonna get in there with the just the facts, if you will, and want to yeah. dispute the point. But yeah, so, you know, I told them that story and they were like, that's quite the visual, Mr. TD. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, they're all waiting. I mean, like, what else are they going to do? Yeah. Well, you kept them entertained, right? Kept them going. At least. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was that was the big part of it is that, you know, that you got all this interaction, you know, chatting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I don't know, chatting is kind of the new norm. You know, the kids, that's what their medium is. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, honestly, you know, kids can't talk on the phone as much as they used to be able to. They text. And they don't want to, I have found. I mean, I don't know. My, my, both my daughters of that age group, they just want to text. They don't want to talk on the phone. Right. Which and actually which, works out well because I'm, I'm the same way. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's maybe funny. It's, maybe it's genetic or something. I don't know. I, like, would talk to my son, Barry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, now he's a checker at, at a grocery store at Hy-Vee. Mm-hmm. And he gets compliments and he gets, like, you know, re- he gets uh, compliments that he talks to his customers. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so just be I, impressed I or thrilled that he is communicating with them, having a conversation. Right, right, right. And he he gets like he got like a free dinner for communicating with a customer, and they they gave him a good like compliment. This this cashier talked to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I feel I've been doing the pretty modern good. world, right? <laughs> At the least in that world. respect. So, Eric, you know, uh, speaking of the modern world, it, it's been an interesting, as, as I'm sure our listeners are well aware, it's been an interesting few months. And apart from running events online, um, which is a world unto itself, I think, and I think we're going to see more and more development of that realm. But apart from running events online, there's also the question sort of hanging out there, which is, okay, how do I have an event in person? Do I even try to have an event in person? And what is that going to look like whenever it happens again? Right? Well, I will say that, you know, honestly, I think online chess is a poor substitute for over-the-board chess. I'm an over-the-board chess guy 100%. I'm with you, actually. I agree. But unfortunately... Uh, with the uh, pandemic that we're dealing with, you know, a poor substitute is kind of like kind of like the only substitute, <laughs> right? Better than nothing, as as I right. Yeah. Um, because of you know, I have like players that tell me like, oh, well, even with all the things you're doing, well, I could circumvent the system and cheat. I'm like, thanks, <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, um, but. You know, your question being that running an over-the-board tournament, um, like I said, I feel that that's the best. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that's like the gold standard of the chess player experience, right? Right. You got to like look at your opponent. You got to look at him in the eye. You got to like pretend he's got a battle (laughs) axe. You know, you just reminded me of... 
He just reminded me of one of my favorite Iowa players from when I uh, used to play in Iowa. Mustafa Zamanian. Did you ever meet him by any chance? Who's that? Uh, Dr. Zamanian is now a professor at uh, University of Wisconsin-Madison, I believe. But at the time, every time I played Blitz with him, I would always catch him looking in my eyes. Like I'd make my move and I'd look up. <laughs> and one time I like asked him about it and he's like, well, I want to see what you're thinking about. <laughs> so I said, so all I have to do to like trick you is kind of like look to the wrong part of the board for a little bit. Is that is that how this works? Anyway, I didn't get to meet him. No, unfortunately, he wouldn't. Uh, um, I guess he wouldn't be able to use that trick in a Zoom call, probably. Well, you can't actually look at your opponent in the Zoom call because we could see all thirty-four cameras. Oh, okay, yeah, that's true. So you could kind of see: are they looking up or right? Are they looking up yeah. or left? You got. You can actually look at your opponent. Although you could really mess with them by just like flipping the board around, right? And looking at it from the other side and then looking in the other corner and yeah, that's mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's not like that. Cause you, you basically, you have to look at them looking over their shoulder at the computer screen. Oh, right. That's right. So you would have both views. That's a good point. So you, you would actually then, you know, perhaps, but, and it's really, and you then you have to like look at the camera and then like blow it up and yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's good enough just looking at the, the, seeing that they're, you know, at the, at the computer looking at their screen right. and not like looking at a chess engine because you can actually look at your opponent too. Um, right, right, right. On the Zoom. So, um, but where I was going with all this is, is I understand and the, the main reason I brought you back on the show this month because, again, season two is all about tournament life. And right now, let's be honest, tournament life in the United States is really weird, you know? It's dis it's disrupted. It's disjointed, and um, it's it's pretty much not happening. Well, it's <laughs> happening, but it's happening in different ways, right? Online, for example. Um, yeah. From six feet away, you know, moving on a board in the middle, it's happening, but it's happening. And, and you're right. The traditional, the the most common, the standard idea of tournament life. You're right. It's not happening. But as I understand it recently and this is what i wanted to get get you on to discuss right 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 you may be the record breaker here in terms of you hosted an online in-person state championship the state championship of iowa no i held it in person right oh did i say online i'm sorry i meant in person yeah no, a live that's the word i was looking for a live yeah. in-person state championship and what were the dates of that event it happened over three days we had a seven round event okay um a lot of it was confused and muddled to begin with because all the players were just like hey when are we going to run the iowa closed hey when are we going to do this hey because mm -hmm. what we have in iowa is a system where eat like there's a, a, a number of tournaments that are qualifying tournaments it's like nascar mm -hmm. And you gain points by playing in these tournaments. Like the Iowa Open, for instance, you can get winning first place in the Iowa Open gets you 18 points. And that's considered a super Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. And then like I hold a tournament in Burlington, which the first tournament I held in Burlington, you won it. Yes. Um, and that was considered an Iowa Grand Prix event. And by winning that and being from the state of Iowa, you would get 12 Grand Prix points. Right. Um, and so the top six point getters or... In this case, because we had an undisputed champion from last year's uh, closed, Arshak Salim, right. he gets an automatic bid to defend his title, sure. and then we get the next top five point getters. So these, five, these six players were saying, hey, we want to have this tournament. We want to have this tournament. They kept bugging me. They kept saying, hey, when are we going to have it? When are we going to have it? Pump, 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 pump. When are we going to have it? And I'm like, it's COVID, man. Right. Ooh, uh, you know, I actually have to say, and I apologize for cutting off, but I think, and I've played in a lot of places and a lot of tournaments like this, I think the Iowa system is one of the most fun from a player perspective, you know, because you can track your qualifying points throughout the year, you can track everybody else's, see who's going to maybe be your, your competitor. And the final tournament, as you were saying, this is a closed event, right? Right. It's the top six point getters or it. the top five with, well, see, and then this year we added two more players. We made why, did you, why did you choose to do that? Because I know in the past there has been some discussion. I, you might recall I, I used to be on the 
IO Chess Association board about maybe adding a spot or two for like a high rated player or something like that. So what made you actually increase the player pool in a time, you know, like a pandemic, right? What, what changed this well, year to, to make that happen? See this year, and I'm going to admit this and the Iowa chess players can like kick me out as president. I took executive action. <laughs> <laughs> you signed, you signed um, an executive order. I signed an executive of you order. You. <laughs> well, Okay, and, and this I actually got from some of the people that I've talked I talked with on the board. Oh. Um, but like in the US Open, or the US closed, I should say, mm -hmm. they invite um, the top senior player and they invite the top youth player right. to the, the US closed. Um, and they get berths in that event. Um, okay. So we took our top Danker representative um, this year, which was Michael Takahashi. And we took our top senior representative, uh, Robert Reynolds. And so I added them to the mix um, because I thought at that time that they were not going to get the chance to play in a national event. Okay. Right. But of course that changed after I announced the tournament. Right. And then the, the, the national event, which we had just discussed, right? The, the Barber, Denker, Herring, Senior, Wyrm entry. Um, those all came back on the, on the schedule. Right, they came back online, but at the time that I made this decision, they weren't going to be online. So I felt that, you know, to have these players, I felt that they were being slighted. Mm -hmm. um, and so I invited, the, and I asked, and before I did this, I asked all six players that were participating in the closed if they would agree to have the additional two players. Mm -hmm. And they all agreed and said, yes, we would be willing to, to have the additional two players. So I didn't like force it down their throats. I asked if this, I said, I have to so have it was an executive team. order that you signed with permission, with permission of the <laughs> players in the event. Right. Okay. Um, and so, so it got to be, so with seven rounds, we did three rounds the first day, two rounds the next day and, and two rounds the last day. Okay. So we had to have it over. And then we, I had to coordinate with everybody's schedule. Um, and so we had the first two days, like the last weekend of July or like the second to last weekend of July. No, I mean, I'm thinking it's June. I'm sorry. I'm June. I'm so it was the last weekend of June. And then we skipped the July 4th weekend and had the last two games um, in the first or the second weekend in July. Okay. Um, and to schedule a place where they could be that we had enough. Okay. So in order to have a tournament in the time of COVID, I had to get all the players to agree that they were going to wear masks. Right. So, so that was going to be one of my first questions is how do we even begin? You know, I'm, I'm an organizer. I want to run this round robin tournament. How do we even begin to think about doing that? I mean, it's a chess game, right? You gotta, you gotta be, right. in, you gotta be in a room. First of all, I guess you don't so have I to had, be in a room as our listeners may know, you ran a tournament before in a zoo. So that was outdoors. <laughs> um, but most of the time you're in a room and you got to be real close to each other. Right. And the thing is that, okay, so I, I discussed this with uh, Jim Houdina. Okay. Um, he is the deputy. He's like second in command of the Lynn County Public Health Department. Okay. And we bounced ideas off each other and what would be acceptable for a chess tournament, what would be acceptable in the eyes of the public health department. Mm -hmm. um, Jim so Tadina, I, we should also mention, I believe is an ANTD, correct? Associate National Tournament Director? Yes, he is. Okay. And he is also on the board of the Iowa uh, Chess Association. Okay. Um, so yeah. So he and I discussed this um, ad nauseum mm -hmm. about what we were going to do as far as like how we're going to keep the players safe. Because right. that was my main concern is keeping the players safe. Right. Because I've got a couple elderly folks. I got a couple young folks. Um, you know, I got two senior citizens in, in this, mm. you know, um, and I don't want to get them infected because um, they're the they're at the highest risk. Right. Um, so one, you know, the first thing was masks. You know, we got to wear masks because the masks not don't necessarily protect you but they, they protect the people around you. Right. And so if you're going to cough and you cough into the mask, then it, the droplets get caught in the mask. Sure. Great. But everybody's got to wear one to make it, make it effective. So that was first thing on the list. 
Now, when you, discuss- when you were discussing these, were you discussing them only with Jim? Were you running by the players? Did you get any flack? No, we were just, just, I was just discussing it with Jim. Gotcha. Okay. Um, my background is that I was, I've been a nurse for 30 years. Right. Um, working, you know, with the military and with pediatrics. So I've had a number of situations where like taking care of tuberculosis patients or whatnot um, and the infection control policies that we Im- implement at the hospital. Mm. Um, so I'm coming at, but you know, of course in the hospital, it's an ideal world and we have a lot of control over the situation. Whereas Jim, his, you know, special specialty is in public health, you know, where it's like, you know, the wild west out there. Mm. Um so, you know, I'm coming at it from one angle, he's coming at it from another, but we're discussing it. And then we both know chess. And so getting the, the chess and the infection control policies implemented, that was our, that was our goal. Um, so next is, next after we both agreed upon masks, mm. was pieces. Um, right, because, yeah, that, I mean, that's another thing. How much, I think... One thing that probably we have recognized in terms of, you know, from the beginning of coronavirus arriving to the United States until now is we have a lot to learn. You know, there's a lot of learning that is happening and will continue to happen. So what do we do about potential transmission by touch? Right. And that that was a rule that I thought of. Okay. Was that like, let's say your knight is on C6. Mm-hmm. And the bishop takes the knight. You know, sure. typical Roy Lopez. Yeah, we we right. love Roy Lopez. <laughs> we do. He, he said something about putting the sun in your opponent's eyes, according to Eric Vigo. Right. Okay. So your bishop, the white bishop captures the black knight on C6. Sure. And so what I told the players is that the white bishop moves into C6, nudges that knight out of the way, and the black player has to pick up their own knight. Okay, now so you only touch your pieces. So I have that brings up a couple immediate questions for me. So I'm curious how you tackled tackled these issues. Um, the first and most obvious would be when is the move completed by the player making the capture? Let me explain that a little deeper. Okay, let's say I move my bishop into the square and I nudge the little knight and I want my opponent to take it out of the way. Can I hit my clock immediately, even though his piece is still on the board? Do yes. I have to wait for him to remove it? What if he's in the bathroom or something and my clock is just ticking? How do, like how how does move so first question, how does move completion work? I have to wait until no, he comes back to hit my clock. As soon as you let go of your piece, mm-hmm. as soon as you let go of your piece, mm-hmm. you can hit your clock. Okay. You know, that was a that was a question. Mm-hmm. Um but then okay, said, so go ahead. Sorry, I, I apologize. Players did ask that. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And if the player's in the bathroom. Um, yeah. And then again, I only could have one player in the bathroom at a time, but that was not my rule. That was, that was the, uh, the host's rule, the church rule that we, the site. Okay. So the site had a rule about, about bathroom usage. One person in the bathroom at a time. Mm -hmm. It was clearly labeled on the door. So one person in the bathroom at a time, they come back, they find, they see two pieces on C6. Mm. They have to take their, it's obvious. You have to take your piece off. Sure. But well, but that brings up my second question, which which is equally, I think, important in terms of application of this rule, and perhaps the more pressing issue. What about a time scramble? Okay. So like, I if do I have to, you know, and, and not just a time scramble, but what about a time scramble recapture sequence? Let me give you an example. Let's say the bishop captures on c6, and the opponent wants to also take back with their pawn right away. And hit their clock right away as well. E7 takes C6, right? Exactly. Yeah. So how do we handle a time pressure where all of a sudden, wait a second, I have to take my opponent's pieces off first, and then I also have to kind of like nudge his piece with mine? You know, this seems really complicated. How How do we make that work? Okay. So first off, it's game 90, increment 30. So I would only do this with an increment 30. I would not do this with a delay five. Part of the thing, though, about the 30 seconds is that's there so you can you can notate, right? That's in the rules because you've got that increment. you got to use that to notate. Correct. And the thing about it, though, too, is when you think about how quickly that happens, the nudge the piece out with mm. 
you know, knight or bishop takes c6, right. pushing it out of the way, then pushing it. That literally only takes a second. Okay. And when, um, and when the players actually did this, hmm. they realized that it only took a second. Hmm. So you're, the real arguments for like time pressure, mm-hmm. no, non-existent. So like in, in, in theory, there's like ob- some obvious concerns, disputes that could arise, but you're saying in practice, actually it went pretty smooth. With 30 second increment, no, it's also, it's really smooth. The only problem is that people forget mm. and they, they grab the other person's piece just because they do. Right. I mean, that's like what they do. I mean, you, you're so ingrained to put your piece, your bishop on C6 mm. and take the opponent's knight. You just do it. And you don't and think twice, right? You're just you don't think move. twice. Yeah. And to that effect, um, what I did in between rounds is, well, one, I, I, I put hand sanitizer on all the boards. Okay. I, I went crazy. I didn't realize how much hand sanitizer cost. I bought these big, like, industrial-sized hand sanitizers. <laughs> I spent like 80 bucks on hand sanitizer <laughs> and I realized do do. After the tournament, I could have only, I could have gotten away with only spending like 25. Right. Um, but I bought, <laughs> cause I didn't realize how much, how little hands, but if you did make that error of accidentally taking your opponent's piece, mm-hmm. you could just reach for the hand sanitizer, sanitize your hands and you're good. Continue on with the game. Drive on. Hmm. Okay. So walk so me through work. sort of what this what this looks like on the day of the tournament from well, I guess both your perspective and a, and a player perspective, you know. Or I, actually, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Were there any other rules that you and Jim came up with in terms of safety? Yes. Okay. Well, I'm glad I asked. Okay. <laughs> so I had players ask as soon as I announced this tournament, "What am I going to do about drinking something at the board?" Mm. Oh, right. Yeah, of course. At the board. Of course. Yeah. Players like to have a snack or at, at least water, right? I mean, it's a long, 90 plus 30 is a long game. you got to hydrate. Yeah, it's four and a half hours if you pl- if everybody plays 60 moves. Sure. Yeah. So what I said was that what I set up was tables. I had a table behind every table. Mm-hmm. So like there was a table behind, there was two tables behind every table. One on, each, one on each side, basically, right? So, like, one behind the white player, one behind the black player? Right. Am and I that understanding was that correctly? Area. Correct. Okay. And so you would, you would like, leave your, your area, take off your mask, drink or eat, but you had to be sitting. But luckily, you know, I had the space. I only had eight players. Hmm. So I had this whole big church, which I could use the whole amount of the church. And so that... Like if you were like playing on board one, you would have a, a table like four or five feet behind you mm. where you could sit down and eat your snacks while watching the game happen. Um, you know, that was your considered your break area. Right. So I had that set up but so that everybody could like eat and drink, you know, within sight of their board and have their right. safe space right. with six feet away from everybody else. You know, that was a big condition as well. Um, and then in between rounds, um, the other thing I did was that I came by with like a, a 1% bleach solution and we like took all the pieces, dumped it in the bleach solution, let it sit for 10 minutes, wiped down the boards with the bleach solution, wiped down the chairs, the table, everything, you know, in between rounds, right? everything was wiped down. Um, <laughs> and I had a a mother like bring like bleach wipes herself, Clorox bleach wipes. And, I says, and she was like wiping down the table and the chairs. And I says, I just did that. <laughs> better safe than <laughs> better safe than sorry. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I said, you know, I just did that. <laughs> she didn't believe I just did that, but I showed her my bucket of bleach and she's like, Oh, I guess you just did that. <laughs> the proof is in the bucket. Yeah. The bucket with the Clorox next to it. You could, just, right. you could smell my bucket of bleach. You know, but I had like a rag and I did like, you know, industrially, whereas she was like doing like one wipe at a time. I was like, no, a whole big bucket. But yeah, so that was that was one of the other things that that we did. Um, 
Uh, masks, you know, folks. Now, did, um, did tournament directors, organizers, did, did you guys also wear the masks, follow the rules, all that stuff? Absolutely. Mm. You know, I, I stayed in mask unless I was eating or drinking and was six feet away from somebody else. But I was pretty much in mask the entire time. Mm-hmm. You know, because if I'm going to ask my players to be like in a mask and like sit there for 12 hours on one day, you know, we had like, you know, three games in a one day. I'm like, I'm not going to ask you something to do that I'm not willing to do myself. Sure. You know, so I'm going to sit there behind my computer. And I mean, if everybody's not doing it, it, it almost defeats the purpose anyway, right? Right. To a, to a certain yeah. extent, anyway. Um, the other thing which is kind of interesting, too, is that we ha- I had backup. I had okay. Bill and Jim, uh, Bill Broich, another uh, national tournament director and international arbiter, sure. as well as uh, Jim Houdina. We all we also all showed up. Uh, there's three of us to do the tournament. Okay. Um, and after the first day, I had a sore throat. Oh no! <laughs> and I had some stuffy eyes. Oh no! Um, and so I was able to call Bill and I was able to call Jim and say, "Hey, you know, I'm I might be coming down with some symptoms. Right. You know, right? And you guys, I I can't be there the next day. And so they they carried the they carried the ball." You know, we had backup. Right. And that was intentionally, we had three tournament directors on site for eight players, but we had backup just in case something like that happened. Right. And I was, as it turned out, like three days later, I was fine. And then in two weeks, well, in 10 days later, then I I finished the tournament. Um, You know, so, but it was a scare. I mean, you don't know if that's, you know, is a, is a sore throat going to turn into COVID-19 ventilator? Ah! (laughs) Right. Yeah, no, you're, I mean that. So to me, that question right there is the essence of what we're talking about. Where is the line between an acceptable risk based on and in with consideration of safety precautions? And it sounds to me like the precautions and measures you had in place were Fairly extensive. Very extensive. And how do you measure that against what may be a small percentage risk, but a very severe one? Well, I mean, I didn't want to be like the tournament director that like infects eight players with COVID. Right. Oh, no, of course. I'm just talking about the decision to run the event from the beginning, right? The the idea of of even, even attempting something like this. Well, I mean, like I said, it, the players were like bugging me constantly. <laughs> and, you know, I had luckily, you know, like we did this FIDE rated as well. So luckily in Iowa, <laughs> we've got like, we actually have like five, five or six, you know, FIDE arbiters. I mean, national arbiters, international arbiters, FIDE. We have actually that amount, which mm-hmm. is amazing for such a small state. Um, just in gen, the quality of TDs we have for our limited population is ama- is just truly amazing. Um, right. You know, that, that's honestly one of the things that I've really enjoyed about playing in Iowa. And I know there have become even more since I departed, but it is for, for a small state, it's very fortunate in its, uh, population of directors. Yeah. Um, so that was part of it there was I had backup, you know, if something went wrong, I had backup. Um, so backup actually was part of the safety protocol. Part of the, part of the planning. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that if something, um, that if any one of us had gotten sick um, during the event, you know, where we, we had the precautionary, you know, that some, you know, we had two other TDs that could, that could, or arbiters that could finish the, the event. Um, that was part of the planning. Right. Um, interestingly enough, tomorrow mm-hmm. um, at the Marriott in Indianapolis, they're having a the Indianapolis tornado. Which they're is having a, a game, they're having an over the board game forty five delay five tournament. Wow, I wonder how many participants they have for that. Um, actually, I was talking to Bob Smith, and he said fifty two. 
Do you know what measures, if any, they're taking to, you know, for safety? So the, like we've been talking about, are they requiring masks? Are they wiping down the pieces? Do you have any information about that? No, I don't. <laughs> um, and it's funny because I was actually thinking about going. Yeah. Um, because I love over the board chess so much. Sure. But, and I was thinking about that before the recent coronavirus spike. Right. Um, like I was actually thinking about making plans for going to the national open in Vegas. So I'm just going to do like a little temperature check here. Um, no pun intended. That was probably the wrong choice of, of words, but if you had found out that they did not require masks, would you still go? Um, if they did not require masks, I'd wear one. Um, would you still go sitting in a room all day, a closed space, 52 people that didn't require masks. Uh, I don't think I'd go. Yeah. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's a, a sage decision. Um, and I didn't have to, I would, I probably would have asked those questions mm -hmm. uh, prior to going traveling to Indianapolis. That's like, you know, two States away. Right. Um, but you know, I did, I did talk to Bob Smith about like the precautions I took at the Iowa open or the Iowa closed. I'm sorry. Um, but I did not ask what precautions he was taking. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, but then again, it's like I was thinking about going, but then I got the invitation to work at the online Barbara Danker Herring, um, with senior, Rockefeller event. <laughs> right, right. So it was out of the question to going anyway. Right, conflict. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, we know we know the safety procedures you put in place. We know the planning elements and aspects of it. But every TD knows, you know, and every player who has participated in any significant portion of tournament life is aware when the action starts, things can go wrong and, and things can happen. I'm curious, how did it go? Well, but the Iowa closed. How did it go? Right, so two two weekends, three total days. How did it go? The first round, I had one player that kept like putting his mask. He said, um, you know, he didn't have a mask that like fit his nose. He kept he showed up and he put his nose like the mask was like below his nose. Okay, like <laughs> you know that I hate to use the. Uh, you know, that's like, uh, it's not really effective if it's under your nose. Right. Sure. So I was re almost ready to um, stop the event. Mm. Because if one player is not going to comply by the rules. I, right. was I mean, how can you, how, how can you, right. How can it be successful if, if the safety protocol is being broken? Right. Right. And I said, look, I'm going to just cancel the event. Like you need to put this. And I, I provided a mask for him. Um, and then he put it, the mask above his nose and he kept it there the rest of the tournament. Okay. And I'm like, okay, cool. But then I had another, another player that was like a kid mm -hmm. and he was fidgety and he kept like pulling the mask down. And then I like stood there and I gave him the evil eye. <laughs> <laughs> I felt bad, but I was like, the TD evil eye, the TD evil eye. And he like looked at me looking at him and then put the mask above his nose, put it, put it properly on his face. Hmm. And that pretty much did it, you know, and then the rest of the, the tournament, everybody followed the protocols precisely. Well, I, I have um, to say, I'm a little surprised at that, honestly. Well, like I said, this is Iowa. We've got eight players, right. you know, right. Yeah. The small number of players definitely helps. Yeah, I mean, if this was an open, I mean, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to have, I was prepared to, you know, just cancel the event if people weren't going to follow the protocols and just say to hell with this. Right. You know, and I really didn't want to do that, but it's like, you know, if somebody's not going to be conscientious enough to protect their fellow person, mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to do this. Right. So we had so, and not did. only that, but you had them laid out in advance as well, correct? Absolutely. Um, you know, and that and that was the expectation prior to the event. Right. Um, 
and they were, and like I said, like after the first 15 minutes of round one, everybody was cool, you know? Right. And we did the event and everybody played chess and there was a couple, you know, mistakes where people would like pick up the other person's pieces. Cause you know, you just like, you're, you're in a, you know, you're in a, like a five piece capture sequence. Right. And you just, you just got to do it. It's sort know? of like one of those situations I described, right. Where it's like, you're making a capture, there's an auto recapture and it's kind of a bang, bang play almost. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then people would forget, you know, because you're in the moment, right. You know, you love, I mean, you love your chess, man. You love your chess. You're in the moment. Well, I mean, clearly you do, right. To even, to even consider playing uh, an over the board event at a time like this. Yeah. And I, I got to tell you, um, I was talking to, um, we've recently got a new editor for the Enpassant magazine, mm-hmm. um, Cub Noble. Okay. He's doing a great job. Um, I was not doing such a good job taking the Enpassant the- magazine. We should just clarify for our listeners that is the official state bulletin of the Iowa Chess Association, correct? Correct. Okay. And we still publish it in paper. <laughs> Very nice. Okay. Uh, which is I, I recall writing ma- writing a few things for the Anpasan a, a while back. Yep, you sure did. Uh, you were you were even on the board of directors of Iowa and the assistant state or co director of this Scholastics. That was a long time ago. <laughs> I know, in a galaxy far, far, far away. Far, exactly. Yes, <laughs> correct. Um, but yes. Uh, so. Uh, I was just talking with Cub Noble today. He was like, are we going to have the Iowa open this year? Yeah. I'm like, "Ah, the Iowa open. And we were discussing about like how we would hold it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the safest thing for a a tournament would be outdoors. Now, just to clarify, you know, the last Iowa open I played in uh, was about 200 players. So are we talking, are they still that large, uh, an event that large? Well, they are, but they're not. I mean, we had like 160, 170 players last year when okay. we had it at the Iowa Memorial Union. Sure. But, um, you know, now are people willing to travel? Are people willing to, you know, I'm gonna, if I'm going to put out the Iowa Open, um, I'm going to have it like at City Park. Okay. You know, where outdoors, outdoors, um, you know, because that's the least amount of contagion, you know, air conditioning is again, a contagion thing, you know, having it indoors is where molecules and bacteria and viruses, you know, stay in the air. Whereas if you're outdoors, they kind of float away. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I were going to have, I would have it like, on a weekend in September. Right. Outdoors. Uh, <laughs> so, so what you're telling me is this could be the first chess tournament in history to get rained out and, or put on a rain delay. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're just introducing a whole new element of chaos. I love it. No, no, no. I mean, you've, you've got those rules in the book already. <laughs> I mean, didn't we have a heart attack at the uh, U S open? Didn't we have some, tur- I mean, haven't tur- tournaments been interrupted by tornadoes? You know, right. honestly, there's been a lot of different, you know, things that have happened that have stopped tournaments. Sure. Yeah, that's true. I think uh, actually on the podcast just a couple months ago, I discussed an event, uh, which I do not think you were there for, but there was, a, there was an Iowa Open that had a tornado warning. Yeah, we had to all go hide in the basement, you know, while our while our games are going right in the middle of the game. So you're right that that's true. Um, and if we provide all the plastic pieces and whatnot and put them out on those picnic tables, hey, they can get wet. <laughs> what about the clocks? What are you going to do about those? <laughs> I mean, you know, I have to say, Eric, I'm truly impressed at your will and spirit for, you know, having these events and running them. And I think that that motivation um, is admirable. And I'm, and I'm really fascinated by how these would look. You know, I just picture walking into a tournament room, 
you can't see really anybody's face. They're all wearing a mask, right? The smell of bleach. Ugh. Quiet. Three tables per game. It just feels like something out of a weird futuristic novel that, that none of us ever thought we would live through. Yeah, I mean, I'll say that, like, I didn't like the indoor turn. I mean, I ran it, you know, mm. but it was a pain in the ass. I mean, it was difficult. Um, nobody really liked it, but they were all wanting to play it because mm-hmm. they wanted to be champion of Iowa. Sure. Right. And that's, you know, you know, that's where it goes back to that. What is an acceptable risk to do something you want, you know, whether that's a chess tournament or a baseball game or whatever it may be. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting question, right? How, how much do we interrupt our life and how much do we not? Yeah. I mean, like as a parent, I mean, it's weird because like my wife and I disagree about this, but Barry, my son, mm-hmm. he wanted to be a, join the, the football team at West high school. Okay. And you know, there's like all this risk about concussions and you know, I was like, my wife didn't want, she's a pediatrician. Right. And you know, at the time I'm working in pediatric neurology (laughs) uh, where, you know, we deal with concussion patients. Exactly. And I'm like, and I'm like, it's what he wants to do, you know? And I, I, I eventually signed the, the practice, you know, the waiver for him to play. Um, but really, if I held the Iowa open, you know, am I going to be like President Trump and make people sign a waiver that if they contract COVID at my Iowa open event, yeah. you know, it's, it's a sticky wicket. I agree. It's a real sticky wicket. Um, Which is a, one of those Iowa sayings, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and like I said, I, I'm I'm thinking about you know running the Iowa Open, but like I said, having it outdoors. So that was the million dollar question I was going to ask. You know, based on how everything went, your experience as a whole, would you do it again? Um, I would do the Iowa closed again, but again with eight players, mm-hmm. um, and that's mostly because the players want it. Mm-hmm. Um, the Iowa Open. That's I'm getting into some weird territory here where, you know, running an event outside, like you said, there's a lot of different logistical issues, right. rain, snow, well, rain, thunder, um, and people's willingness to be outside, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's just a weird time we're living in and, you know, people's desire to play over the board chess. And those are the, t- the real two factors. Right. I'm very, you know, but like I said, there's 52 people signed up for the Indianapolis uh, tornado this weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, and those 52 people are willing to accept the risk. Right. Right. Um, and I'm going to go back to the COVID thing. Um, it's weird because like, I know like a nurse that I know, works in Chicago at a nursing home. He caught COVID and it like was like the common cold. Uh But another friend of mine in Ohio, he caught COVID and he was on a ventilator for a week and a half. Right. And he's, you know, my age and in fairly good health. Mm -hmm. So it's just, Oh, and you know, like I was reading today about a, a nunnery that had like 19 of its nuns die of COVID. Yeah, this is, I mean, it's no joke. It really is. Um, but you know, the question that, that comes to my mind is whenever I think about something like this, you know, participating in a leisure activity during a pandemic, right? Making that mm-hmm. judgment on a risk. What are we going to look back on these moments and think? And I mean, it's more of a rhetorical question. You know, it's more of just a thought that I have. But what are we going to look back on these moments and think? You know, how are we going to think of them 
with that 2020 hindsight, right? Or with that eye of history? I mean, really, you know, from my perspective, I really don't want to be the guy that like creates an event that, I mean, other people catch something with. Right. You know, that's, that's my biggest fear is I don't want to be the guy that like, you know, holds the church choir that like, you know, the whole church choir comes down with COVID. Sure. Yeah. You know, because, you know, I'm out there running an um, over the board chess tournament. Right. You know, but I want to do it safely. I want to do it, you know, again, with compassion and love for my fellow man, because my fellow man wants to play chess. It, it sounds like you achieved that. I mean, I, I think you were definitely benefited by the format, by the safety measures you put in place. To your knowledge, were there any cases as a result of the tournament you held? No, absolutely not. Hmm. Everybody, you know, went away without contracting anything from anybody else. Hmm. I've not heard of anybody falling sick in the last two weeks. <laughs> And that would have been the, the incubation period. Exactly. Right. Yeah. We're, we're pretty much right on the two-week mark today, correct? Correct. Hmm. And I've been, you know, in contact with these folks. So, right. you know, um, yeah. So I will say I ran a success, successful tournament in so far as that nobody's come down with anything. And my infection control Prevention measures were successful. As successful as could be given the circumstances that we find ourselves in. But um, I go back again to when I was a company commander in the military, um, where I had soldiers break legs, um, have issues that, you know, were direct relation to the training environment we provided. Right. To prepare them for war. Mm-hmm. And they got injured. You know, again, it's a risk, right? And you know, risk management. And we're never going to be in a safe world. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I I think more than anything, that is the truest statement you could possibly deliver, right? We're never going to be in a safe world. No. And this, you is- know, we try to make it as safe as possible. <laughs> If you think in terms in terms of chess, right? I mean, this is the tournament life we're going to have for a while. I have a lot of hope that um, a vaccine will be created, and we'll get it out sometime in late fall. Um, and I say that not just because I'm like really extremely hopeful, mm-hmm. but I mean, you think about it. Like every year, you know, they come up with a flu vaccine, and they say, "Hey." You got to take the flu vaccine. Sure. <laughs> you get your flu shot. Yeah. What are they doing every year? Is taking the strand, all the strands of flu that have come out the previous year, creating vaccines, and making new ones. Well, I I certainly hope that your hope <laughs> it pro- proves itself worthwhile. But um, honestly, Eric, in the meantime, I, I truly appreciate you coming on, sharing your story with us, sharing your thoughts about the state of affairs, how things went, how you ran this event, giving us those details. Um, I, I can't thank you enough. So thank you for doing that. Well, you're most welcome. And um, I'm going to be anticipating results from tomorrow's event in Indianapolis. I, like I said, I might have even gone. However, I'm you know helping run the online events sure. um, for U.S. Chess. Mm-hmm. Um, are you going to be in those Twitch rooms tomorrow? Um, part of my role is to work with the team that's managing the Twitch. So I should be around. Yeah. Okay. Unfortunately, I can't ever watch you. (laughs) I will not be broadcasting. So, um, actually that's a bit of an interesting note. Another way that that COVID has changed things. We've had a few international matches lately. Uh, team USA played against Ireland in an, it was a nail biter. We won by half a point (laughs) at the very end. Um, Absolute nail-biter match, and I was able to stream that. I was one of the commentators with um, Chris Bird. And the, two weeks later, uh, the same team, Team USA, plays, uh, played against Romania. This was a scholastic match across 15 boards. Also was a nail-biter biter for a while. We managed to pull away sort of at the end. Um, 
So it's nice to get a little streaming in, but no, tomorrow we have a star-studded lineup, I believe. It's Grandmaster Robert Hess and Jennifer Schade. So it should be a fun time for all. Of course, by the time our listeners hear this, the only way they'll be able to watch it is in the YouTube archives, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. But it's there. It'll be there. So go, go check it out. Listen to some great commentary. Yep. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. You know, that's that's one of the things when I'm TDing these national events is that I never get to hear the Twitch commentary. Go watch the archives. It'll be there. You can go check it out. Like, that's yeah, one of the great you know, things. So. It's like, you know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I've been rewatching the, um, so another interesting COVID tidbit, I've been rewatching the 98 Bulls playoff run. It was, <laughs> uh, it was re-racked by Comcast Sports Chicago. And you're right. It's just not the same when you know what's going to happen. You know, there's like no drama at all. Uh, he's going to miss the shot. Yep, yep, he missed the shot. Okay, now we're going to win. So, so it's a unique experience, to say the least. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you again, Eric. This has been great. Um, I appreciate you coming back on the show to talk about running a tournament in the time of COVID. This is, this is such a unique thing that you've done. Um, I'm really fascinated with with your procedures and your perspective on everything. And I hope we can have you on again at some point in the future. All right. Well, thanks for having me. Um, I'll try to keep, I'll try to do something new and interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just give us more to talk about. That'd be great. Go ahead and host the tournament in the rain and then we'll, we'll get back together and do a, a little postmortem. Yeah. I'll get like little, little umbrellas for all the clocks. There you go. Instead of like cocktail umbrellas for like martinis, it'll be like little umbrellas. <laughs> See, that's the photo. That's the photo that I want. I want that photo. <laughs> All right, Pete. It was great chat with you. Same. Take care. Thank you again. From a distance. All right. Bye bye. Why not? Tactical struggle. Hard to define. Thank you for listening to the Chess Underground, a U.S. chess podcast. Please check out our entire suite of podcasts, which release every Tuesday and include Ladies' Night with Jen Shahad, as well as Chess Life cover stories and One Move at a Time with Dan Lucas. U.S. Chess would like to thank Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media for a podcast production and editing. If you are starting your own podcast, visit www.sevenseasonfilms.com for consulting, production, and editing. Until next time, signing off, Pete Karyanis. Thank you.